What's going on, everybody? You've got the cardboard coaches here with your boy, Coach Go. I am your friendly neighborhood cartel. And as you can see, we've got a pretty special guest here. Uh, we've got one of, you're an owner of Relics, correct? I'm one of the owners, yeah. Excellent. So we've got Sasha here. He's an owner of Relics. And uh, if you've been tuning into the podcast, you know that, uh, it's, you know, it's one of my favorite hobby shops in Toronto. I'm there quite frequently. And uh, today we're going to be talking from a different perspective. I mean, we've had a bunch of people on the podcast previously uh, and different aspects of the hobby. So we've got card artists, we've got um, people who just regularly partake in the market. Uh, some, some just for fun, you know, some as uh, a capital venture, but we, we have someone here who has a different skin of the game. They've got, they've got rent to pay people. So uh, I think we're going to have some pretty fun conversations here. And uh, hopefully you can see the perspective um, from a hobby shop. And, uh, you know, next time you walk into a hobby shop and you're like, oh, these the wax prices are kind of high. I mean, you got to think that there's, it's, it's for everybody, right? I mean, like the, the, it, it trickles up obviously. So um, I'd like to start with that, to be completely honest, I'd like to, um, talk a little bit about, you know, we've had supply issues in the past. Actually, you know what? Screw it. I want you to introduce yourself. I'm sorry. I'm a terrible person. Uh, and then we can get into it. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm Alex. Uh, a lot of people call me Sash. My, I'm from Ukraine. That's sort of my native name. Um, I'm one of the owners of Relics. There's four owners, uh, two sets of brothers, myself, Eugene, who's my brother, uh, who resides in Florida, the lucky sucker. Uh, and then we've got uh, Paul and Gary, who are uh, another set of brothers. We're all kind of childhood friends. Uh, Paul and I specifically have other business ventures together. So, we, you know, whenever we dabble our toes into something, we generally jump in together. Uh, and this is something we decided to just like middle of COVID, bored out of our minds, uh, you know, high tolerance for risk we're like hey let's let's do this crazy thing and open up a local card shop i love and, uh, it Sasha, you're gonna you're gonna help remind uh our our viewers and uh collectors at large that oftentimes we're on instagram and we see all of these accounts and all these individuals and we stop and forget that sometimes while we are all passionate at heart and to some degree a collector there are independent dealers out there small businesses uh and you know stores such as yourself and it's, it's, it's an entirely different world in terms of how you approach the hobby, uh, how you approach business as well. So that's why I'm excited to, to have you here today, Sasha. And may I say, Kakula uh, uh, and, uh, and Dobre Vecher. Is that, is that correct? Dobre Vecher, Dobre Vecher. Yeah, thank you. All right. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. We got so, some European love. So like, like, like you just mentioned, a lot of stores did get going um, during COVID, right? Uh, there, obviously, we saw a lot of businesses impact in a way in which they downsized and we also saw the creation of a lot of businesses that i think the sports card hobby is actually unique in that sense that we actually saw a little bit of growth in the particular sector with people taking that chance and it, it is a it is a courageous chance and it is a a, a chance that comes from uh, uh passion and, and strong belief i am sure uh to to build a business like this so so talk to us a little bit about how it started sure yeah and and you know that's a great comment and i want to touch on you know, the, the growth of the hobby during COVID and, and you, you know, some of the things we went in knowing and some of the things we had no clue about and are now sort of trying to figure out as, as we're into it. 
Um, you, you know, my, my re-entrance into the hobby was about five years ago. I collected as a kid, I think as a lot of people in my sort of demographic did. I was a massive hockey car collector in the 90s during the junk wax era. You know, I have a binder full of Forsbergs and Sundines that nobody wants. Um, and, you know, as like a lot of people, I, I kind of grew out of it, you know, the combination of just an interest in other things and, and the, the hobby itself sort of, you know, having a, a sour taste for a lot of people with the overprinting that happened in the 90s. About five years ago, I'm visiting my brother who at the time was living in California. You know, we both have young kids. We can't really do much for the holidays. We're just kind of hanging out at home. Uh, and we're reminiscing just about some childhood memories and, you know, what we sort of did as kids and all that fun stuff. And as a gag, we're like, hey, man, let's uh, let's rip some wax like we haven't done it in 20 years. Like, let's let's buy some wax. We go on eBay. We buy a case of 15, 16 upper deck blasters trying to chase a McDavid uh, end up doing that on New Year's Eve. That ends up being our New Year's Eve sort of like tradition. Uh, we're going to rip some wax and we don't hit anything. But I got to tell you, like that sort of whole experience, like reignited a, this like insane childhood sort of like nostalgia. And I, you know, we're looking at each other, ripping these packs of cards, you know, both like grown men, uh, you know, with families and kids. And I haven't been like that thrilled about an experience in a long time. So, you know, it kind of reignited my interest in the hobby. And I started to like start a PC up again. And I dove back into like, What's the hobby like now? You know, I hadn't collected for 20 years. I was completely novice to it. Uh, and holy crap, it was so different. You know, getting re, re, like re-emerging into the hobby and getting an interest in it again. Any, everything from like how cards were being graded and slabbed to like the different release points to now how the Paninis own certain licenses. And it was like very specific to sport where Upper Deck had hockey and Tops had baseball. I had no clue about any of that. Um, and so I, I just, you know, I, I started collecting and I started to sort of grow my PC again. And, uh, you know, Relic's only a year old. We're actually going to have our one year anniversary on December 15th. Um, and yes. thank you. And, you know, as I was starting to collect again, I really wanted to go to an LCS. You know, I grew up with sluggers. If you guys are Toronto boys, yeah, I think a lot of people know sluggers, even non-Toronto boys know sluggers. Um, and I, you know, I was just like, where do I go? Where can I have that experience? Right. Like sluggers wasn't just a hobby shop. It was just like somewhere you'd go, you'd meet other people, you shoot the shit. Other kids were there. People would rip wax. Everyone would get excited. Everyone would kind of gather around the counter. You know, you do trades, all that stuff. It was like a pit stop for, for, for kids and hobbyists. And I, I, I decided like, or, or at least like from my research, I was like, man, hobby shops are an endangered species. Like they just don't exist like yeah. they used to. Um, and, you know, shout out to a few of the, like the OGs, like the dollies of the world who have been around and, and are doing great things. But I just thought that like, it's, it's a legacy business. Most of the hobby shops I visited kind of looked run down and old and, 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 uh, you know, not to take anything away from those owners, but they just like, they, they didn't bring like, in my opinion, like the 2.0 approach to what mm -hmm. I think desperately needed it. You're correct. And there was, yeah, I, I live down the street from Relics. I always sort of walk down young with my kids and, and you know, do groceries or take them for ice cream or whatever. And, um, and this old vape shop was just like vacant forever. And I'm just like walking down and like one day I just like literally stop right in front of it. And I look inside and I'm like, this would be a perfect card store. Like this would make it a beautiful card store. Like I, I want to open up a card store. And it was just, it was crazy. I told my wife, she's like, you're fucking nuts. Sorry. Can I swear? I can swear. Yeah. Right? yeah, can yeah, I swear? yeah, yeah. yeah okay. We're good. We're good. Um, she's like, you're nuts. Uh, I, I told a few of my buddies, they're like, you crazy. I told my brother and he's like, I think it's interesting. And then, you know, 
like I said, Paul and I always dabble in stuff together. And then Paul said his brother's a massive collector, which I never knew about. Gary's a big collector. And we all sort of just got on a conference call and I kind of pitched them on the idea and what, where I thought the gaps were in the marketplace and how I think we could win and all the things. And, and they all jumped into it. Like we all sort of just like took a leap of faith on it. Um, and it's been amazing. It's been great. And, but that being said, you know, and I want to be completely transparent with you guys. There's a lot that you don't realize going into this business uh, that are industry-wide issues um, that I had no idea about. You know, I, I approached it as a collector and I saw the, the hobby being ignited and everyone yeah. being hyped about it. Yeah. But then, like you guys said, being a business owner, whew, totally different uh, game we're playing here. And I'd love to dive into that a little bit further. Um, and I mean, what are some of the issues as a business owner? I mean, I briefly mentioned wax um, and the price of wax. Yeah, wa wax, wax is probably, I mean, listen, one issue we got hit with hard right away is fraud. Uh, we, we did not realize fraud is rampant in this industry, both from people trying to use fake credit cards to people selling you wax that never gets delivered. Uh, to people trying to trade you fake slabs or fake singles, you got to be on the lookout, man. In the last year, I, I won't throw a figure out there, but we've we've been hit a couple times, and it's been nasty. Really? Um, yeah, man. It's 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 bad, and and it's just because you know you got to think of it like this is a very liquid industry. It's a very cash industry, right? You got people from all walks of life um, looking uh, to take advantage of the fact that this isn't like really traceable. This is like high value, untraceable product. Like think yeah. about like currency, right? Yeah. You got a hundred dollar bill, that thing, you, you put a fake hundred dollar bill into somebody's pocket, you go to federal prison. Here, you know, you, you can have a fake card trying to front it as something else. It's five, nobody's monitoring it. Nobody really cares. It's buyer beware. Um, so, you know, we, we, that, that's, we learned that lesson quickly right away. And thankfully, you know, we, we've corrected ourselves and it doesn't happen anymore. Um, so was, but the, was, was, correct me if I'm wrong was, and I, I love that you brought that up. That's yeah. definitely something that wouldn't be at the top of people's heads. Yeah. Uh, clearly, you know, things that would be in the top of their head would be how you establish your sources for product. Now, I, now correct me if I'm wrong. I would imagine early on in the formation of a business like this, uh, you're probably going to go a little bit non-traditional rather than immediately through the route direct through uh, the uh, companies like Panini themselves, because that takes a little bit of time, right, yeah. to establish. So that's when so yeah. Let, let me let me pull back the curtain on that. And this is another sort of misconception. And again, like I, I don't mind sharing this stuff because I think it's important for customers to know and hobbyists to know. Yeah. Panini does not sell directly to stores in Canada. Period. They barely sell directly to stores in the U.S. Everything has to go through distributors. Um, in the states, there's probably about I, I would say eight to ten distributors. And in Canada, there's two legitimately two distributors that are authorized to resell Panini product to, to retail. And that's why, that's why potentially you're open to fraud is because now you're going through various middlemen, correct? Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so before I touch on the distributors, uh, there's also the, the, the retail side, right? So in the hobby, you have hobby product, hobby boxes, H2 boxes, and then you have the retail, the, the cello packs, the, the blasters, the megas. Yeah. Uh, distributors, generally speaking, do not carry uh, retail product. 100% of the retail product technically is intended for the big box stores. Right. Uh, so, so if you walk into a hobby shop and you're seeing retail product on the shelf, that is being sourced through middlemen, unfortunately. And that's a massive issue with the industry. And I, 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 I'm always vocal about this. Huge, huge problem with the industry is the fact 
that hobby shops do not get any retail on their shelves from distributors or manufacturers. All of that goes to a big box store, a scalper walks in, cleans the shelf, flips it to someone like me or somebody else, and then I have to mark it up and sell it to the end customer. And the end customer thinks I'm you know, the asshole because yeah. that box is intended to be $30 and it's on my shelf for 75. Right. That's the unfortunate reality of the supply chain right now. Uh, that's the only way to get retail product. You know, anything that's worth anything is always gone from the, from the big box stores yeah. before the day that it hits, uh, you know, and, and that's crazy. And, and the reason for that is that the big box stores, it's skew one of 40,000 for them. They don't give a shit about those megas and blasters sitting on their shelves. They don't do anything to safeguard that product, protect that product. Make sure that this isn't happening. You know, you see headlines in the states, people getting shot over this stuff. Yeah, right. There's, yeah. So that's crazy. And I always, I'm always vocal. Whenever I get a chance, I always say this: hobby shops need to have allocation of retail product, and we need to be the gatekeepers of that product, so that if it's intended to be a twenty dollar blaster box that's intended for a kid to buy, so that they can enter the hobby and have an experience so that they can fill the pipeline of customers and, and, you know, the next generation of people and not have to pay $80 for a blaster. Yeah. That's the intent, right? That, that's what that product's intended for. It's yeah. not intended for like crazy mm-hmm. hobbyists. It's intended for newbies, kids, people that are like, you know, dabbling. Yeah. But it, instead they're paying none. Like, you know, it's crazy what's happening out there. Yeah. That's one thing I'll say about the retail side and, I, and I'll leave it at that. The one thing we didn't realize, um, about the hobby that is, you know, tough for a new hobby shop, specifically a new hobby shop, is that the main distributors get limited allocation from the manufacturers. So the vast majority of the allocation of hobby product gets sticks to the states. Okay, a little bit goes to Europe, and even less goes to Canada. Once that distributor gets it, they they pre-allocate it to the guys that have been buying from them for 20, 30 years. And listen. I'd probably do the same thing, right? Like these are customers that have been around forever and there's very little to go around. So these are the guys that get it. Hobby shops like mine, and this is one of the things that, you know, we didn't realize going into it. Sometimes we'll get zero allocation of hobby product. So, you know, Mosaic Basketball just dropped. It'll, I'll be lucky if I get a few boxes uh, from, my menu, from my distributor to, to, to sell at the store. So what am I being forced to do? I got to source stuff through... U.S. middlemen through, you know, other stores that I have relationships with, um, through, unfortunately, breakers that are buying volume and are getting, you know, boxes and are, you know, flipping a few to me. That's the, the, the like, behind the curtain reality of owning a hobby shop and being a new owner. Um, a lot of times I'm paying just under retail for the stuff. And what ends up happening is I have to wait for the guys in Canada that actually got their allocation to sell out. Uh, and now a new retail pro- price gets established, right? So, you know, a, a major hobby shop gets these mosaic hobbies. They're selling them for $9.99. That's the going rate for a box. Everyone's buying them for $9.99. I have, may have paid $900 if I'm lucky, maybe $9.50. It's difficult for me to sell it for $9.99. There's absolutely no margin for me there. Nothing. Yeah. So I got to wait for that $9.99 to sell out. And then now the, the price gets elevated by everybody. Now everyone's raising the price to $1,100, $1,200. Now, finally, I have a little bit of margin to eat on that box. Right. So that's that's the reality of a hobby shop, especially a new one. That's wild. Yeah, the, the, the modern era of collecting, uh, you can call it the pandemic era, et cetera, so on and so forth. Uh, obviously, breaking is, is, is uh, a device that I remind people is, although it may have some unsavory elements to some people, the reality is it's essential. 
not everyone has access to expensive hobby boxes. For a lot of people, this is the only way to get in on a product. Um, and, and that said, I, I know that especially these days with, with all stores, you see every single hobby shop out there getting involved in one way or another. And then of course there are people running, you know, whether it's a business on paper or under a table, they are, they are doing a, a breaking business. How much of, uh, uh, what, what percentage of your, of your business plan revolves around breaking? Uh, I mean, in the beginning, uh, we started as just breakers. We leased our space right away. Like we locked our space down on December 1st, but because we were pandemic time, you know, we we really only ran breaks and e-commerce sales. We didn't really yeah. have a brick and mortar presence until May. Um, so, so in the beginning, I think it was a massive part of our business, right? Because it was a way for us to get our name on the map. It was a way to build community. It was a way to get our voices out there, sort of show people the type of, you know, service we provide and, you know, Breaking is entertainment, right? So yeah. you got to remember that too, right? Uh, I watch a lot of breakers. I try to like learn best practices from breakers. I don't break all the Relics product, but but I break some of it. It's like, I actually enjoy being behind the mic on those breaks. Um, but now, you know, we try to use breaks as just a way to sort of like engage our community, engage our base. It's, it's not a massive part of our business plan. Um, it, it's again, it's a way to sort of feature new product. Like you mentioned, not everyone has the ability to spend, you know, $1,800 on a hobby box. So a new product comes out like, Hey, let's, let's see if we could scramble together 10 guys to break it together and show the audience what it, what, what a hobby box looks like when you break it and hopefully hit some stuff and, and hopefully somebody, you know, wins, but you know, the unfortunate reality with breaking is there's always somebody that loses. Um, and a lot, uh, it's usually the majority that loses. So um, that negative feedback loop, yeah. but again, that's no one's fault. That's just unfortunately no. kind of a yeah. Yeah. But obviously, like you said, the biggest thing community. Um, I would imagine for a lot of uh, retailer uh, retailers starting up, that is another way because you mentioned the difficulty in getting that margin when you get the new product. That's certainly a way to increase that because it is a product and service, right? You're providing a service as well. Yes. Right? So yeah, like you said, you're also showing off the product. I know plenty of people got into the hobby through breaking right because the next step yeah. is to get more and right so i, I think yeah, it's also all, all of those things i think it's also pretty interesting to, to mention the fact that i mean because you had to deal so early on with i mean not even having a brick and mortar presence like you like most of all you talked about the reasons why you wanted to start a hobby shop you didn't even have that like that wasn't even an option to no, walking exactly. in the, the the talking the trading none of that was a, a possibility so, yes. I mean, if we look at, you know, past hobby shops, maybe even some hobby shops today that failed to have an online presence, I mean, they're kind of stuck in their community, right? And that's, and that's good and bad because, I mean, the fact that you had to evolve into this online presence plus the brick and mortar, I mean, that gives you access to so many different types of people. And I'm sure that you probably ship I mean, if not across Canada, like perhaps the States as well. Like I'm sure you have people participating. Yeah, we shipped to Germany. You know, one of our best clients is based in Germany. That's crazy. You know what I mean? Like that's that's unfathomable for like a hobby shop, like like five years ago, three years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like so. Advantageous to go from online to brick and mortar in that order is probably better these days. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and even, you know, if you look at it strictly from a business perspective, uh, you know, I don't have the luxury of a true wholesale retail model where, uh, you know, my my supply chain is figured out. I always know I'm getting a product for a dollar. I could sell it for a dollar fifty. 
I know, you know, the, the release schedule a year in advance, I can make all these plans yeah. and sort of figure out what my cash flow is going to look like. I'm incredibly nimble and diverse in being able to sustain myself as a business. So I, I think, you know, there's massive changes coming into the hobby. It's, it's a very quickly moving industry right now. And I, I think, you know, from, from the perspective of being well-positioned while yeah, present day, it is more difficult for us. It's relics has a more difficult time uh, making margin than a business that's been around for 20 years. And it's supposed to be that way. I'm new to the yeah. game and I have to like, you know, earn my stripes. Yeah. That being said, as you know, the next wave of, of, of the hobby takes over, uh, I think we're well positioned to succeed in that next wave because, you know, we're, we're coming at it from the, the true grassroots efforts to, to make a living off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you mentioned the new wave, like, can we talk about for two seconds, what we think that's going to look like? Um, I mean, I know this is just strictly speculation. Well, listen, yeah. I mean, I think like the, the, we have the, like, we have had several different stages, as you've mentioned, we're talking about like, like now all, all people really care about is slabs. I mean, not really, but like, that's like slabs, PSA tens. And I feel like the, the whole PSA 10 craze is now slowly dying down because I'm seeing a lot of people being happy with buying a PSA eight. I mean, obviously not if it's an ultra modern, but like if it's uh, you know, relatively important modern card, or, I mean, even multi, ultra modern and short printed, like people are okay with like an eight with like, you know, out of 50 auto, um, where let's say six months ago, like all people wanted was the, you know, base PSA 10 Luca, right? Like that's, that was like, that was yeah. the thing. Like I, I base yeah. PSA 10 Luca. I want to yeah. uh, PSA 10 base uh, Zion. All these things are going to go up forever. Right. Like, um, and I mean, what is, I guess the question I'm asking here is less like, what does the future look like? But how do you deal with the fact that the future changes so quickly or the, the present changes so quickly in terms of inventory, right? Like we've, we've covered wax, but we haven't covered like, like slabs and singles where, I mean, people are going to your shop because they want the latest cards. Right. But and yeah. again, in that aspect, you're probably getting those latest cards. I mean, at the height, right? Like, I mean, if you're, if you're selling a Luca, that's like, chances are you got the Luca, I mean, I'm sure there was some sort of margin in, in the transaction, but like you, you're getting it in an upward trend in the market, most likely. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, we, you know, they had, you know, one of the major advantages of being brick and mortar, and you know, the, the, the slight advantage we have over the, what I call the basement breakers, right. The guys with no real overhead, you're kind of sitting in their mom's basement, making breaks happen. And, and obviously their margin is a lot healthier than ours on that side of the business. On, on the brick and mortar side, specifically with singles, the advantage we have is that we have a revolving door of sellers. We always have people coming in, always showing us stuff, always trying to sell to us. They know it's a quick and easy transaction. You know, they can get cashed out same day. Uh, obviously, they're not going to get the same level of comparables as they would if they sort of spent the time trying to sell it on eBay or another platform. But granted, eBay also rates a pretty big fee and yeah. you, you know, cards get lost in transit and buyers get unhappy because they had a soft corner on the card that wasn't mm -hmm. mentioned. And there's all kinds of like nuances there. Right. So from that perspective, we're fortunate. We also are fortunate to uh, to um, get offers on massive collections and, and we're not afraid to pull the trigger on buying out of states. Yeah. We've, we've bought out a couple so pretty major estates in that. Right, yeah, have done pretty well. And, and listen, it takes time and effort and, and manpower to sift through, you know, we've bought 16,000 cards, 20,000 cards. Uh, and, 
yeah, granted, we value those estates based on the crown jewels, but all, you know, all the, all the profit comes in that bottom stuff, right? Like yeah. the crown jewels is where you sort of recoup, but the, the juice on top is in all the randomness that you have to sift through and price and, and, and flip. Um, so, so yeah, while, you know, we, we try to be very astute with the way we buy and we're very lucky, you know, I didn't mention, you know, we have four owners, but we also have two, uh, two staff, which are exceptional people, right? JJ and David that are really on the front lines and run the shop for us and, and literally kill it in all aspects. And, and one of those aspects is the way they buy. Um, you know, they do, they do a phenomenal job buying and, and, uh, and in turn selling. So yeah, br- brick and mortar does give you a pretty big advantage. I would say on the single side of the business. Give, give awesome. me an estimate of how many 1990, 91 scorecards you have to sift through on a monthly basis. <laughs> I don't even sift through them, man. Like, honestly, you, 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 I'm not even joking. We bought out like a few massive estates and our basement, we have a basement in the shop. It was just getting like to the ceiling with random stuff. And we had a dollar cards, $2 cards. I told the boys like, guys, put it in all in cardboard boxes, make some Instagram posts, give it away. I don't, I, I, I don't want to be in the dollar business. I don't want to be in the $2 business. And I know, I know, listen, I know that's money. And I know like you could put up a, a sleeve of cards and people will come and, and sort of pay you a buck, two bucks. And I, you know, I was at the expo and I saw some guys have whole tables of just dollar, $2 quarter, 50 cent. And I'm just like, man, it gives me like, I, I, I get like anxiety just thinking about it. Like I understand that there's an element of that in the business, but when I talk about the new wave and the next wave, like one of the, one of the things I'm talking about is, you know, sports cards are now becoming a bona fide alternative asset class, right? Yeah. You, 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 you got to forget about the dollar, $2 for a second and think about the six, the amount of six figure transactions that are trading hands. There's a lot of six figure cards trading hands and even way more 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 cards trading hands. There are people that are raising private equity funds for the sole purpose of holding portfolios of sports cards. This, this is, you know, this to me is the future. This is the reason I think that like the fanatics of the world and, and the valuations that are happening is that, you know, our generation, our era, a lot of guys don't know art. They don't know, you know, a lot of the, you know, reasons people are putting oil paintings on their walls, but they have money and they know sports and they kind of know sports cards. And, I think the high-end stuff, the, the really rare stuff is where the biggest appreciation will happen. Um, and it's already starting. Like if you look at some of the cards that have been flipped, like, you know, you look at the LeBron Exquisite as like a great example. Like the amount of time that cards traded hands and the sh- like the, the months, like the appreciation those cards experience is unlike any other like asset class, real estate, equities, whatever you want, gold, nothing touches it. Granted, that's just and you know one example. You someone could probably quote ten examples that went the other way, but if you're smart about it and you know what you're doing, um, and now there's smart money getting into the game, um, you know there there's there's real eyeballs on this now. So, so is that a, is that a viable extension for a business like like yours, which also has a brick and mortar involved in it, in terms of getting involved in that sort of thing? We see these fractional companies that are popping up left and right now. Um, as an extension of that, um, is it, it, I mean, I've always had, I've had thoughts for decades about catering to markets like that. Uh, I simply was uh, too busy being involved in other, other ventures, but I, I kind of saw it coming, but the question is uh, that, that that's an interesting conversation probably that could have its own podcast in terms of how to cater to that. But are there some things off yeah. the top of your head that, that you're kind of, um, 
is that is that like offering private services? Is that offering portfolio services? I, I want to ask you that. And I don't want to date you, Sasha, but also the next question I was going to have after that was when the Fanatics announcement was made, what was your gut reaction there? Their first gut reaction, regardless of how it's going to play out. So it's a two-pronged thing there. How are you adapting to what you just spoke about in terms of the high end? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, one way I'm adapting personally is just like, you know, pivoting the way I PC stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm slightly changing my strategy on PC and, and uh, you know, I, 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 I'm just trying to follow so what, what I what, a collector investor now in that sense. Collector investor, exactly. And, and, um, and I mean, personally, listen, I have, you know, my own network of friends and individuals outside of Relics that know I'm involved with Relics and, and they don't have much interest in, in ripping wax, but, you know, they're big sports enthusiasts. And I, I can tell you, I've had at least a handful of conversations with people that have, you know, money to invest into alternative things, whether it be, you know, startups or, or uh, NFTs or uh, slabs. And they call me and they say, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, but hey, I've got 20 grand to throw at something like what should I buy? So to your point, you know, consulting services on helping people build private portfolios, I think is definitely a business. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, aggregating portfolios, like, you know, I had I had this idea once of saying to, I, like, I had five friends call me three of those are like massive Mamba fans, massive Kobe fans, yeah. right? All of them are saying I want Kobe's. Uh, so I, I thought, okay, well, why, why don't I just raise, uh, you know, quarter million dollars and start a Kobe fund and I'll manage it and I'll buy the slabs and I'll sell the slabs and I'll take a fee on, you know, profits and like a traditional private equity guy, right? I'll take 20% of profits and 2% of assets. Um, and I'll just manage it. Don't even worry about it. Like you want you, you, you're bullish on Kobe. You want, you think the Kobe market's going to rise, put your money into my fund and, you know, just set it and forget it. I'll take care of the rest. Um, so there's those two elements, right? And, and if you look at a company like Only Alt or, or some of these other guys, you know, if you look at um, uh, Blowout Cards did a fund for wax, right? They, they raised a bunch of money uh, just to hold uh, vintage wax. And I say vintage like, you know, 03 stuff, 96 yeah. stuff. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's, there's that element of it. I, I think there's a lot of alternative businesses that will emerge uh yeah. into sports cards you know yeah. vaulting insurance uh all kinds of stuff uh, that's going to happen in the space uh your second question fanatics i mean i gotta be careful what i say out loud because you know uh well, whoever listens know. to this yeah. may, may may cut yeah. me off at the knees uh originally because of my experience right now and because of the crazy bottleneck that i experienced trying to get allocation I, I was happy about it. I was like, wow, a new player in the game. I've been following Michael Rubin's career for a while. I actually tried to slide into his DMs, uh, but he wasn't having it. Um, and, and, and I think new blood, new perspective is good. Uh, I, I think that, you know, because of the amount of money they paid for the license, they have to get aggressive about how they grow the pie. Uh, and the, I think the only way you grow the pie is to get kids involved. I think if you're just focusing on the current collectors, the pie is only going to grow marginally. Yeah. Uh, you've got to bring in a whole new wave of interest. Uh, and I think Fanatics is well positioned to do that. Um, the, the one concern, obviously, I have, and, and you know, Michael's been on CNBC, and, and because of his existing business and the way he runs it, it's, it's very much a D2C model. Um, and, and, you know, the one concern I think a lot of retailers have is, 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 the, 
is it going to go D to C, you know, is everybody just going to be buying directly from fanatics and I'm biased to this answer because I'm a retailer, but I genuinely believe in this answer. Uh, I think that if you do that and if you cut out the retailer from the hobby, you lose community. And I think if you lose community, uh, you could really hurt yourself in the long run. I, I think, you know, just letting people click a mouse and get wax shipped to their door or a slab shipped yep. to their door. Uh, eventually the fun in that kind of stops. Like, you know, coach, you were at our trade night. Like yeah. that is what the hobby's about. The hobby's yeah. about filling a room full of people that all feel the same way about something and just have them shoot the shit, trade slabs, buy, sell. Like to me, that's the excitement of the hobby. Yeah. yeah I have my briefcase, which is my PC. And I look at it every once in a while, but if I can't get in a room full of people or take it to a hobby shop or do something with it, it's just going to collect dust and, and, and yeah, it's value and everything else, but the fun of it is all in community. Yeah. And the average person just doesn't have the time or energy to travel from like show to show, to show, to show, to like make deals. Like the, I mean, we see a lot of, I mean, and, and cartel has brought this up so many times. Like a lot of the people that we like idolize in, in the card space, like they're doing things that are kind of unrealistic, like the, the bopping yeah. from like show to show, to show, to show, to show, like, like, that you create community in that that's great but like the average person doesn't have time like even the kid like a kid doesn't have access to like go show hopping and do you know what i'm saying like how does a kid build community i mean we've we're seeing a lot of kids build community on on like a, a faceless profile on instagram right and and in that we see a lot of fraud too right i mean there's a i guarantee yeah. there's a lot less fraudulent like face-to-face -face interaction than there are through instagram and through like discord sure. and tiktok and all those other mediums right so um yeah i would agree with you i think we definitely need the like the the hobby stores to succeed and uh i cut you off cartel no that's all right no i i i, I was going to say that you know obviously that's a big concern when it comes to the fanatics deal is if if we're getting closer and closer to the point where we're just pressing buttons that's definitely a concern. Certainly, you know, people in my age range that grew up a certain way with collecting, it's almost unheard of, right? So that's a big concern in terms of the growth of the hobby and sustaining the hobby is a, if we're just, if everything is just a click away, uh, you know, uh, open this box, receive this card, grade this card, you know, we are looking at a process that may eventually not even involve ever holding a card from, yeah. from, from purchase to grading to sale. And the question is, how is that going to appeal? And uh, is that something that's going to be able to kind of, you know, uh, satisfy a, a community or, 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 or grow the hobby? So, yeah, it's, it's, listen, it's a, it's, it's a new it's a nuance that I think you, you have to be a hobbyist to understand. Um, I think as an outsider, if I'm like a, a Bay Street analyst, I'm like, well, this is genius. You know, eliminate all, eliminate the distributors, eliminate the retailers, go direct to consumer, increase margin, you know, valuation 3X on Fanatics. They're smart as hell. Uh, but listen, I, I believe that Michael and his team and Fanatics, they kind of know what they're doing. I, I don't think they're, they're going to just just sort of roll out a game plan that doesn't involve stakeholders or at least talking to stakeholders. And I think if you talk to any hobbyist or any hobby shop or, or anyone that's been doing this for way longer than we have, I, I think they'll all sort of echo, echo our sentiment. I think one of the major issues though, is that, and this is another, you know, I'll throw out another crazy business idea that I've been rambling in my head. And, and obviously this is a sort of a, a moonshot, but you know, um, 
hobby shops are one of those fragmented retail businesses, uh, period. There's really no Barnes and Noble of the hobby shop industry, right? There is no one iconic brand that exists as a retailer and hobby shop. Everything is mainly mom and pop, uh, you know, old school owners, et cetera. There's no one real consolidated voice when it comes to the retailer. Everyone's sort of saying their own thing while some may be saying the same thing. There's, it's very difficult to be loud as a single brick and mortar or as three brick and mortars or whatever the case may be. If, if anyone ever like got the cojones or the capital to do a roll up and actually try to consolidate, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 retailers under one umbrella, um, I think I think that would have a true impact, and I think then you'd have like an actual voice for the front lines. But again, this is me just getting stoned and dreaming. <laughs> I love it. It's true, though. I mean, you're right. It's 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 honestly one of the few industries that just like it's entirely like independent businesses. Like the you know what yeah. I mean. Like there's really very very different business practices, very different pricing from store to store, from individual to individual. You you I'm sure, Brendan, I'm sure you saw this at the Sport Card Expo, man. Yeah. You probably oh, yeah. like one guy's got a card uh tagged at 50, the other has it tagged at 5. One guy values it a lot, one guy does not. One guy's looking for this sport, one guy's looking for that sport. There's just so much going on at one time, so many wheels turning, right? It's crazy. Totally. And even the service, even the like the experience, right? Like Absolutely. you you, you you can go shop at one store and get one sort of experience and, and buy the exact same box at another store, or maybe even pay the same price, but the experience is different. Right. Um, and I think that's why, you know, franchises work. And that's why people feel comfort in walking into a Starbucks or a Subway or whatever it is, right? It's because they always know that the experience will be the same and people take comfort in that, especially kids and parents that are like letting kids spend money and whatever it is. What's one thing that you think is due for a bump up in terms of uh, whether it's like a sector of sports cards, maybe it's like a, maybe it's not a sports car at all. Maybe it's memorabilia um, without giving too much information about what your next play is. And then let me, and then let me tack a question on top of that, Sasha, what are people coming in and asking for? You know, back in the day it was pretty consistent in terms of what wanted, what people wanted out of a store. We are now dealing with, a bit more of a pedigreed, a, a, a bit more of a, a discerning collector base. There's so many options. Some people get into NFTs and cryptos and their stores starting to gravitate towards that. So what are people asking for in addition? What's going to bump up? And we take we take crypto, by the way. Relics accepts crypto. Nice. We, we accept crypto for uh, for any purchase. Um, oh, so that's why that's why Co has, uh, has a crypto wallet. <laughs> oh look at that Ada. look at that Ada. if you guys ever have a crypto nft podcast you know feel free to invite me up yeah yeah um uh listen from you know where i think the the most you know value appreciation will come in and I, i've said this on a previous um, shop talk video and and i i think where the most appreciation will come is from where not the you know short prints are short prints right we know now, and, and, you know, I always, I said this also in another video, like the junk slab era, right? Like the amount of copy yeah. white slabs and bobo slabs rolling around. It's just yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's the, reminiscent of the junk wax of the nineties. Right. Yeah. So, so now everyone's starting to say, okay, well only focus on short prints. So only focus on the short prints, the numbers, the autos fair. I agree with that statement where I would really focus or where I try to focus and where I'm pivoting some of my uh, PC strategies. Uh, I, I even narrow down further on, 
how many sets are being launched in a given sport. And that's the reason like I, I remain bullish on F1. I remain bullish on UFC. I, I even I even like WWE entering the Panini space. Yeah. If you look at UFC, for example, UFC has had three product releases all year. They've had Select, Prism, and Chronicles. Those are the only three product releases. The sport itself is growing in popularity. Wow. Soccer, another one. You know, you've basically got Merlin and Tops and, and maybe a few others that I, I mean, it got I it got slaughtered this year, though, man. Like it was slaughtered. Like, but but keep in mind, European collectors have not entered the game yet. Yeah, there, there's there's a the, the market for European collectors is tiny. Yeah. And and soccer is really the only sport they give a crap about. So if, if I think long run, if I, if I, you know, I'm still only chasing the SSPs and I'm still only chasing yeah. the autos and I'm still only chasing the number cards. But if I really think true upside, I'm going after those sports. Uh, I'm going after where the product count is so low, whereas, you know, I love basketball and I love football, but you look at a basketball release, like I've seen the same LaMelo ball photograph on like 17 different products. Yeah. It's, it's the same photograph. It's the yeah, same yeah. card, but it just has a different logo. Is it Chronicles? I mean, is it Prism? The fact, is that, it? the fact that Mosaic just came out like two days ago or three days ago, it's literally December 2021. And he's played yes. a full season and a bit. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. It's it's wild. Like they're still making cards from last year for making, that yeah. for that class. They're making premium versions of the lines that already exist. So, Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and, it. and it's just because people want to chase those you're, you're short prints still see again. Premium stock. You're still going to see you, like, premium stock come out. What about right. short? Like, is it really a short print if it, there's like an out of one hundred in like twenty seven different sets? Though, do you know what I mean? Like, or in the same set but different colors? Like, it's yeah. one one hundred green, it's one one hundred red. Like, yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm on the same boat. And even me, like now, like you know, full disclosure, I stopped collecting sticker autos. I no longer touch sticker autos. I will only touch on card autos. If I'm PCing a card, it's got to be on card auto. I don't do P- sticker autos anymore. It's funny you mentioned UFC and like cartel is was just like yes 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 cartel is very bullish on ufc mainly because he loves it but this guy you should see some of his ufc stuff he's got like old school stuff good because Uh, even when tops had that license uh sasha brought up a great point they they were not taking it to any extreme and at, at the time it was because they really wanted to test the market and see how it would play out but people don't realize just how little they made of those initial releases yeah was it is it bloodlines what's that Bloodlines is that was that the first one? No, no, no. Bloodlines came up a, a lot longer. It, really? It was, only, it was only 2010 when they started experimenting with pre- premium product like Knockout. Uh, and blood, the first Bloodlines is 2011. But you know, the, the reality is there was never more than a than than say th- three or four sets. I, I have a full set of each each set that was released since 2009, and the binders wow. and the, the shelves are not. It's not a gigantic huge. There's, there's not that many sets. And uh, like Sasha mentioned, it's rapidly growing. It's extremely international. Uh, it's, in my opinion, the most international at this point when you look at all of the fighters that are involved. And, yeah. and all it takes is one great fighter to excite a nation. Uh, it, it can 100%. In Africa, it could be in South America, it could be in North America. And the but barrier to entry to become an athlete in the sport is yeah. human flesh yeah you need these you basically you know, need these and that's it your feet yeah and it translates like you you know you, you try to like yeah I, I come from ukraine i tried to sit my dad down and watch an nfl game with him once you think he understands like i i, I spent a whole game explaining the rules of first downs and, and, and field goals and everything else exactly. he was lost he had no interest by the end of the game 
you sit anybody down, you say, hey, these two guys are going to try and knock each other out. I get it. Great. Let's watch. <laughs> yeah. you know? I, I like what Panini's been doing. I mean, they're probably printing a lot more than, than Tops did from 2009 through through roughly 2015 um, per set. But, but I do like the fact that they're keeping that tradition of not flooding the market. Um, it'll change it'll change because it's the only license they really have left that's well that's exactly really, really valuable that's yeah. true and and yeah. and that's why i think this stuff is going to hold value right I like the first release edition the 20, stuff the, the 2020 uh the 20 i guess 2021 ufc product i can't recommend enough the the rookie class is phenomenal uh yeah i think smart smart collectors are getting on that so love it absolutely well, uh, Sash, we are going to oh, let you go. So, oh, so, 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 oh, Sash, oh, 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 oh. What, what are people coming in and asking you for? If someone came, that really changes, right. man. Like it, right. it's, it's, there's no. I, I, I got to say, there's no like consistent. You know, I thought about your question. There, there's no consistent to ask. It's, it's whichever way the wind blows. You got to remember, um, most people that are in the hobby are, are very cat. Like the vast majority of hobbyists are casual hobbyists, right? Like coach and yourself. Um, you, uh, you, you, you guys are like, I would say a bit deeper than the vast majority of people, right? The vast majority of people look at it as like a true hobby. I, I love Alexander Ovechkin. I, I want to know about the vast majority of people coming in. The vast majority. So, so, so for them, it's like, which, whatever is like popular that month, whatever players going off that, you know, like people are reaching out, Hey, any Scotty Barnes, any Scotty Barnes, like, you know, like Mac Jones is hot right now. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's, you know, for the vast majority of people, it's truly whatever the trend is. Um, there, there's no like underlying theme uh, underneath the hobby that everyone's trying to uncover and, and say, Hey, can, can you get me some of this? Or do you have any of this? It's, it's really like whatever month it is and whatever sport is hot and whatever player is pumping. Uh, that's sure that's what day, people are chasing. A lot of people, a lot of people just want to rip. Yes. They want to come in. Get yeah. Yeah. People, people want like, again, everyone wants to rip, including myself. Like I love ripping wax. The, sure. the, the problem is, is that the barrier to entry to rip wax at a, at a hobby level is just fucking high, man. It's well, just I mean, especially really, for really like high. Basketball, basketball is impossible for like a kid. Like imagine like as a kid ripping like a thousand dollar hobby box for like basketball like do you know what i mean like, yeah it's... like a lot of our kid clients wait for their bar mitzvahs you know like yeah like, like we, we they're like saving up bar mitzvah money like but that's what it's and, getting and to, just right? extrapolate on that guys imagine saving up your bar mitzvah money ripping uh you know a high-end uh, box looking for lamello and that sort of thing and 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 not getting much of anything falling short a bit betrayed which is a concern, right? Because that you want to keep people in, you want to keep yeah. people happy and do your best. I know that retailers such as yourself always have sort of safeguards in place for that to make people feel like they're getting a better experience and better value. Um, you know, here, I want to drop something on you, Sasha, uh, just as a favor to you and retailers and, 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 and card stores at large is that I think that an opportunity that exists is filling in the gap when it comes to knowledge. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I have a friend who recently just ripped a bunch of product. He, he tends to call me and ask me what's good. He's like, I got these young guns in the baseball. I got this. And when I start speaking to him, he, he thinks I'm speaking Swahili. Um, I'm explaining to him about parallels. Like, did you pull any parallels? I don't know. In the baseball box, did you pull any SPs? I have no idea. And you literally, it dawned on me the other day, there's, there's the populations, and I'm not talking about graded cards, but yes. yeah, populations yeah, yeah. of some of these SPs go down every day because people throw out 
what they're not even aware of in a lot of cases, That's right? True. So, yeah. So I do think I, I saw recently Upper Deck was providing retailers with uh, these 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 stand boards with uh, the names of the key rookie cards in every year's set, and I I, I feel like uh, stores and businesses would do themselves a great favor if you have perhaps if you have someone on staff or a consultant that's able to create, um, you know, create some sort of uh, uh, informative type of material that helps people get a little bit even more excited, right? Because this guy's excited enough to rip the wax without even understanding perils. He didn't know what I was talking about when I said, did you pull any exclusives? And he looked, 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 and he's like, oh, I actually, I have this. I have this card with a serial number on it. I mean, there's people really getting into the hobby with Crazy. Free of not being aware, right? And if we raise that awareness, they might even get even more excited uh, he pulled a fan motion card, Brendan, which I'm sure you're familiar with. That's correct me if I'm wrong. That's almost like a case hit. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, so. He just thought it was like a canvas peril. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. We, we've got it. We've got as, you know, as guys in the hobby, coach Co and I, who are trying to put out information, the podcast, Sasha, you as a store owner, we can do well to kind of get that information topped up so that people get even more excited, know what to look for and, uh, and keep the, uh, keep the passion going. Right. Yeah, it, 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 it's pretty tricky though, right? Like, because it's just it's like, where tricky. does it end? Do you know what I mean? Like, tricky. like it's like, where does it end? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, every day I learn new parallels and I learn new case hits. And like, you can, I, if you've ripped enough and seen enough of the product, you can kind of be like, okay, this looks like it doesn't belong. Do you know what I mean? Like, this looks right. like kind of outside. And like, some of the short prints, like, let's say you ripped tops. And you'll see a picture and you're like, you know what? That's like a really cool action shot, you know, like, and I'll find myself going to the back and like looking up the serial number and being like, you know, no, this is just a really cool photo on a, on a base card. Do you know what I mean? And, and that'll it's happen. Constant, it's constant that, learning. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll I'm happen not, like five, six thinks... times until I finally find a short print. I'm like, I knew it. I was like, this one's a short print. Not <laughs> I only have to rip half a case and here I am. To read about the retailer sheet, you know, and that sort of thing. Another yeah. thing is like, you know, just because a card comes out of a pack, that does not mean, oh, let's just throw that over to PSA. How about let's take a look at it first yeah. and decide yeah. if we want to spend that money, right? So Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I think people are kind of, I mean, I don't know if they're, from what I see, people are hopefully understanding that like, especially the way that PSA has been grading lately, that not every card out of a pack is a PSA 10. Do you know what I mean? And right. like just... And, and yes, it's unfortunate that you might have hit like a lamella ball, but it's not a 10. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, like it, yes, it's a great experience in hitting that card. And like, it's a great card and it can still hold value as a raw card. But like, just because you did it and you're excited about it doesn't mean it's a 10. Do you know, like having that translation. For sure. If Coach Co's in your and Listen, guys, you know, we've, we, we've had cards. We've pulled out of a pack, sent straight to PSA, gotten a grade on it weren't pleased with the grade is for a customer recently happened on a Connor McDavid uh, cracked it, resubmitted it and got a new grade, got oh, a yeah, different grade. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to, which is another, like, you know, unspoken sort of, what, what'd you say? Welcome to subjectivity, right. In our hobby, you know, yeah, that's, that's another. And, and like, listen, like granted on a Connor McDavid, that Delta spread is a thousand dollars, $2,000 yeah. significant money, but yeah. not like earth changing money on the big boy cards, you know, on the real big boy cards, that eight to nine, that nine to 10, it could be a five figure swing. 
so that's another thing that I, you know, and, and I think Nat Turner hopefully is going to make some make some moves with PSA and 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 do some different things. But it's really really tricky to be a collector and and trust basically your treasure trove in the hands of right. somebody that decides that that day they don't like the way that corner looks, but on another day it's totally fine. I mean, we've no, seen me- we've seen players come into the market and create their own, like I mean, like NBA, for instance. Like now, you need a, a secondary authenticator for like a PSA ten grade. Do you know what I mean? Where like now there's like a gold diamond seal on it, or like a silver diamond you're, seal. You're taking us into the deepest. I know. I know. Of, uh, I know. Grading, uh, <laughs> Sasha. You ever have to deal with someone? You know, given what we know about Panini and its various quality control issues. You ever have to deal with someone asking you at the, the retailer with help when when a card comes out that, you know, let's let's say they do hit that big Connor McDavid and it's got a big surface issue, you know, I'm sure you can guide them. But does that happen often? Yeah, it, it happens here and there. We actually had a not too long ago. It was probably about four or five months ago. We ripped a, on our live. We ripped black diamond upper deck box for somebody and, and uh, they got a Bowman Byram auto. And it was mangled. Like the card was mangled. It looked like a dog chewed it, literally. Like the corner would just like had like teeth marks in it. Um, and we submitted to Upper Deck and, and did the whole uh, the whole process. And luckily they took care of this guy. Yeah, um, Upper really good. And, and, but I'll give you another example where like, you know, we ripped some 2012 contenders uh, recently. Um, uh, we have some hobby. We, we had a case of hobby 2012 contenders basketball. And we hit a Kevin Durant redemption auto. Uh, as you can imagine, it's severely expired. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to deal with Panini. <laughs> we're trying to deal with Panini to get some sort of um, some sort of compensation, something. But they they're very explicit in their T's and C's that expired redemptions don't mean jack. So yep, it's it's a, it's it can go either which way, man. Yeah, I've had this conversation about redemptions, and I'm just like, man, it is very unfortunate, especially because we want to kind of hold. Like, I mean, sometimes we want to hold the wax, right? Like, I mean, wax has the, every, every player from that rookie class in it. It's a safe investment, reasonably speaking. Yes. You know what I mean? You're gambling yes. on that class versus one specific player. Right back yes. to that, that knowledge, right? Filling in people's knowledge of, you know, what, what is in that product, right? Before they open it. So, yeah. 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 Like, for example, like Contender Optic just came out and Lamello is a redemption in that product. Yeah. Uh, so, like, if you're going to hoard Contender Optic, they'll make it for over a year because right. even though you're, you know, in two years, you, you, the only card you're chasing in two years is technically expired. So, uh, if if I'm a smart guy, like, Contender Optic is going to be worth twenty sealed Contender Optic is going to be worth like twenty percent in two years because the guy you're after doesn't mean anything in that box. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I never even thought about that. Team. Yeah, team. <laughs> Sasha, honestly, thank you for coming. Um, I really appreciate you having Thank you for having me, boys. We, uh, yeah, I think we covered a lot of stuff. And uh, hopefully we've kind of informed our listeners on, you know, the back house side of, of a retail shop, right? And, you know, the next time you walk into a retail shop, you're like, oh, man, this, you know, this wax is expensive or whatever the case may be. Like, at least you, you heard from a perspective of a retail shop. And just remember that, like, that you walked into that retail shop because you 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 know wanted to have a good day today or you wanted to to rip some wax or you wanted to have a conversation with someone and and those things are kind of intangible. Do you know what I mean? Like those things, I, I can't even I can't stress enough how many times I've you know just have been kind of having like an off day and I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna go for a walk. 
and I, my walk somehow, you know, I'm walking north and I, <laughs> I somehow get to that blue door and I, and I open the door and I go inside. And honestly, I mean, the day's not like, it's not night and day, but I, I feel better than when I walked in there, you know, and sometimes I don't, sure. but like it has nothing to do with you guys. I, I, I <laughs> but I, I do, I do walk in more often than not. And I feel, I feel good when I leave. Right. And um, not, and it's not always about spending money. Sometimes it's about like, I mean, like you mentioned before, you, you at, at times just given like rock hards away where they're like, you're like, I don't want to sift through this stuff. If you want to sift through it, like you can have it. And I've, I've spent, you know, hours sometimes just like, I'm like, oh, I got nothing to do today. I'm just going to sift through a box like this. Right. So there are a lot of intangibles that hobby shops provide. And um, I just want to thank you for running a pretty damn great one. Thank you. And, and listen to, to, to not like to, uh, to echo your words to a degree, like we, you know, when we opened and when we hired JJ and David, and to this day, you know, our number one priority is customer service. It's always been customer service because the only thing that we can do to separate ourselves, it's not cut prices, it's not running crazy sales. We just don't have that ability. It would literally bankrupt us to, to undercut the market. We, we don't have that supply chain figured out. So we have to separate ourselves on customer service. And if you look at our Google review page, like it's a testament to like what we've tried to do in the last year, you know, we were 135 star reviews on, on, on Google, which, you know, businesses have been around a decade can't achieve that. So, you know, we're, we're very serious about customer service and, you know, we're always aspiring to sort of meet, meet that sort of exemplary model. Love it. That's a, that's a great way to wrap it up, man, because that is where, what it really boils down to is the, is the customer's experience. Uh, quick, Boys, let me just plug us before I jump. I was yeah, going to say plug quick us? plug, quick plug. You have to go for it. All right. All right. Amazing. So uh, relics is spelled R E L I K K S dot com www.relics.com we're on instagram at relics uh tiktok twitter youtube uh, same thing uh we're at 3235 young street one block north of lawrence on young um and uh come check us out anytime we're open up seven days a week uh, uh one thing i'll also plug uh, just stay tuned if you're following us on instagram if you're not please do uh we are going to be launching uh, in middle of December, sometime close to the holidays, we're going to do something called a charity break night where 100% of all break spots sold on that night will go to the sick kids hospital. We, we like to do things with sick kids. We've, we've done a few things with them in the past. And, you know, kids is obviously a big reason why we did this. So we're going to be running a really cool night. We're going to run a bunch of different breaks. Again, all the break spots people buy, 100% of those proceeds are going to go to the sick kids. And we're going to have some celebrity athletes that are going to come on our live and and help us break those boxes. So uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to be announcing that very shortly. And, and uh, I hope everyone's opening up their uh, purse strings and, and buying spots for that, because if not, I'm going to personally chase you all down. Nice. I love to hear it. And I got some great prices on uh, UFC prison blasters back in the day from you guys. So I appreciate that. You got it. You got it. Thank you, boys. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate it and all the best. And uh, we're going to continue to do great things, man. Take care, brother. Thank you, boys. Have a great one. Thanks again. See you. See you. Bye. There was honestly so much that I didn't even realize uh, about hobby shops, man. Like I, I, and you are always on the the scams, right? Like, I mean, you are making sure that you let everybody know, like, you know, this, this is what's happening with this scam. And I just, I guess I didn't really realize how much happens in person. Um, oh, yeah. 
Front specifically line. i think the credit card the credit card stuff was really kind of shocking to me to be honest like fake credit when, well well it's sasha pointed out it, when it becomes such a liquid business industry and there's so much hype you are attracting unfortunately a, a certain type of individual you you really are and i i mean i even brought up to you in, in previous podcasts you know this this has gone on for decades where there can be unscrupulous individuals anytime there's a lot of cash on hand yeah anytime you have cards that represent so much cash um but yeah people don't stop and think about the front lines where it's even like how payments are being received sasha mentioned you know he puts in an order for some wax and that wax never shows up right so a lot of risks there a lot of risks involved always remember that when you're dealing with someone who's in this hobby and has their skin in the game as you put it or is running a business and has costs many of us are guys again even if you just see an individual account on instagram that person you know it may not look we're all collectors but it may be even deeper than that for them there i know plenty of individuals who are doing it as a, a, a as it's their career right it's how yeah. they're choosing to make money and it's doable and no one's saying that it's easy, right? Yeah. So. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway here is, and it's, it's a common theme on Cardboard Coaches team, it's community. It's like treat people the way that you expect to be treated. It's, you know, like inclusiveness. Uh, if your friend wants, you know, help with the hobby, make sure that you take them under their wing and that they don't, there's a less opportunity for them to get screwed over because that's one, one less person that's going to leave the hobby with a bad taste in their mouth. I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me and been like, you know, like screw sports cards because like so-and-so's like, I, I was screwed yeah, over by a breaker or I was screwed over by, you know, like some guy on discord or a guy on Facebook or a guy in Khajiit, you know what I mean? Like, so really try to take care of those people that need help um you know rather than try to take advantage of them um and uh that's that's why you see passion when people call certain people out because yeah that, that again it's never you know half the time when i'm when i'm talking about these situations it's not not necessarily personal to me it's just that if i've seen someone uh you know pull a fast one on one person they are now highly capable of doing that again and again and again yeah and there is a little bit of a concerning tendency in the hobby to just have a very short-term memory. Um, look, uh, it's fantastic doing things for, for charity and it's, it's fantastic doing things in connection with positive people, but it's intention and it's, it's history, right? Because if you're this company that has this history of having done very questionable things, then you're doing something for charity. I see what's going on there. If you're, if you're suddenly hooked up with an influence that everybody likes, I see what's going on. Oh there. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about like, like someone who's uh, done shady stuff in the past. That's right, man. And yeah. we are far too forgiving. The past does repeat itself. I don't, I, don't, I never want to inundate people with too much of yeah, that yeah. stuff, but there are people that are supposedly our quote unquote hobby leaders right now. They were around 20 years ago. What happened 20 years ago? Sorry, 20, 30 years ago, a bubble happened. And now, you know, we, we don't want to see that again. That's why I always point people in the direction of those YouTube videos that are, that are put up regarding WADA, regarding video games. I know. I told you about them. I told you they were my, they were mind blowing, bro. I was like, I'm you need to, I was like, you need to watch this. <laughs> I'm not the journalist, but yeah. watch those and get a taste for some of the connections and some of the things that go on because it's very relevant to the hobby. And by the way, Cole, I want to let our listeners know, uh, you know, uh, the cartel made his sports net debut earlier today. That's right. That's right. That's right. 
you can catch it on uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, Tim, Tim and, and Friends. Friends. Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends. Absolutely. You also get to see Josh at Hit 'Em High Auctions. Uh, one of the best, best people in this hobby of ours. Uh, you've you've probably met Josh at the expo or, or some other show or or on Instagram. Uh, I love the fact that I get to share some screen time with him. That was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. And uh, that, that's my personal self-promotion for the day. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Team, I hope, I hope you had a lot of fun this, this episode. This was what it's meant to be. All about community. All about you all. Um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Cardboard coaches are out.